0: Hello and welcome to Homespun Wisdom Talks with my neighbour, with myself Sarah Sharman and my lovely neighbour, Daniel Confino. Socially
1: distanced, of course.
0: Even more so now, Daniel. I'm
1: having to find more and more exotic locations to meet the latest regulations. You know, it's pretty grim up here on planet Moon. I know,
0: Um, I was trying to get a spot on Mars, but it's... uh,
1: There's lots of craters... And, um, you know, if you're trying to avoid publicity, there's always the dark side, which um, I intend to explore on my moon raker at some point.
0: You do that.
1: Meanwhile, if there's a slight delay in what I have to say, it's because, you know, sound travels, uh, well, the electronics travel at, I think, 186,000 miles a second, and the moon is about a quarter of a million miles away. So by my calculations, there will be a delay of just over a second, getting back to Earth from my um my little pod up here
0: i feel like a contestant on university challenge who has no idea (laughs) what they're talking about right now maybe because i didn't go to university they
1: say you know it's people are like they're from different planets you know men are from mars and and girls are from venus um you know i haven't got that why isn't
0: it boys are from mars and women are from venus
1: as opposed to boys that and men that's well you
0: just said men are from Mars and girls are from Venus
1: yeah and why did not I say oh, I see what you mean mm. probably portraying some latent sexism in which you've just unearthed I mean, yes that's what you'd like me to say isn't it yes yeah. well okay you know.
0: I think you do often have uh, some sexist comments every now and then yeah.
1: I mean there's a difference between people who are sexist or racist or whatever who are unaware of that and those that are aware and struggling with it and I would put myself in the Latter category, aware and struggling.
0: What did he say the other day? There was something that you thought women did. And I thought, what life have you led?
1: Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, I think. You know, because you have two lives, really the one where you're within parental control and the one where you escape parental control. Right. And it's a bit like getting to the moon. At some point, you need to get up to enough speed to escape the attractions of the earth to escape the gravity of the earth and you need to be at 25,000 miles an hour to do that
0: okay so um, we're not going
1: anywhere very fast well I I've obviously maybe already, you are in your car. I've Im- imagined it already but but yes um, so there are, those two, there are those two sides to life and the one should prepare you in some ways for the other but the question is how much can you change yourself in your life and I've often thought that the, um, the, the most influence you can have on your children is in the pre-rational phase when they will just accept what you say and they can't argue back. And that's when you want to lay down the precepts of a good life as far as you can. Mm. And as they get older, they become more unruly, of course, and more willful and independent. And um, I always remember this joke. Uh, I used to work with people in Minneapolis which is in the middle of America, quite north, northern state, Minnesota, very cold. And you you wondered, if you lived in America, where you can move freely around, why you would live in a, in a state like that, when you could go to I don't know, New York or California. And, um, and I discovered that uh, it was because the fathers, who are usually committed to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. because they came originally from Scandinavia, and they when they came to america they were looking for the new scandinavia you know cold and miserable um they influenced their daughters from a very early age they say look you know various points in their life they say look don't uh, do, do as you like in in life but just one thing you know if you really love your dad one thing you should do is when you come to settle come back and and, and settle in minneapolis mm-hmm. and um i told my kids this story and um, zach who was working at the apple store told me that one day he had this quite difficult customer who he was engaging with, and uh, um, he said um, uh, that he was from Minneapolis, and um, Zach, said, well, that's funny, because then he told this chap the story that, that I had given him. <laughs> um, I'm telling this really badly, actually.
0: It's okay, I'm still listening. Um,
1: but it turned out that um, he wasn't uh, from Minneapolis, he was only living in Minneapolis because he married a girl who said that we must
0: return.
1: We must, yes, return to Minneapolis. So he hadn't even realized that he was caught up in this. Oh no. But we were going to talk about leaving home, weren't we?
0: We were, yes.
1: When did that happen to you?
0: When I was eighteen, officially, I packed up my car and drove down. I think my mum and brother followed in convoy to a little place called Sidcut to spend three years at Performing Arts College. Right. My brothers thought I wouldn't go because I'm such a homebody. (laughs) They were surprised I actually survived. In what
1: what way were you prepared for leaving? I mean, let me me break it down. Could you cook
0: for yourself? I can read a recipe, yes, and follow it.
1: But had you any experience of cooking?
0: Yes, my mum always shouts at me to come and stand and watch her cook, so yeah.
1: And what else do you think you need to be equipped with to leave home you know, just to survive to clean. clean yeah what well, personal hygiene both and domestic hygiene you Don't
0: want to look like you don't wash you don't want to appear to live in mess yeah so yeah and just be able to socialize as well because you don't want to be alone throughout those three years of your life
1: what about financial stuff do you think you oh were-
0: i was well equipped i was think i was one of the only students to attend college with a job already set up for me so i used to work for the well-known superstore asda asda yes and they do a transfer scheme so if you're going away to uni or to study, you can transfer to a store closest to your uh, place of education and then you can return during the holidays to continue working at your home store. I see. I was very rich as a student.
1: Yeah. Well, when I was a student, um, it was um, in the time of full grants. I know you know everyone listening to that today who's been a student paying for it will, will hate me for it, but you actually got pretty much. And my dad had just retired when I went to uni. Mm. So I got enough to live on. and There were no fees. And I was quite careful with money. I mean, I I came up from a, a household where money was tight. You know, we have an Italian side to the family. And my father would call his brother, you know, just a couple of times a year. And he believed that if the call went over three minutes, you got charged a fortune. Okay. so before the call started i had to go down to my dark room in the in the cellar and get up my t- my minute timer clock which took a whole minute to go round the face and you could start it you know by pressing one lever and so he would call mordy in milan mm. and the call would and we would all be watching the hand go round and the tension would just be mounting 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 minute 2 and then <laughs> and then as it came round to minute 3 he was going 50 51 52 there was no attempt to close the call or oh. to bring it to an end or to tell him, he, Look, you just at two minutes 59, he just put the receiver down. That was it. Whoa. So I I, I grew up thinking money is a serious problem, you know, this is a serious issue. And, yes. and you well, better I be didn't careful. come
0: from a. We were not rich by all means, but I did get a grant actually. Hmm. And my dad told me to write to various charities to. Uh, receive like sponsorships which I did and I got invited I think it was only about three years ago to one of the charities so they could they invite all the people that they
1: to see the benefits yeah you were the living embodiment of, of all their generosity yeah this is what you have done with your money look at Sarah how she has turned out such a wonderful human being
0: exactly
1: and you had to make a speech
0: I didn't have to make a speech, though. I just had mm. to turn up, eat and drink and smile, which I excel at. So if you need anyone to appear at a party when we can have parties, please send an invitation my way. I also danced too. First one on the dance floor. No shame held.
1: <laughs> we well, see, I was talking about preparations for leaving home because my mum... Uh, I left home... To- more suddenly than they expected. I think I should explain that. I came back from uni. Mm -hmm. um, I'd done a law degree. And and after, if you want to qualify, you have to do something called law school. And um, that wasn't funded properly. And so I didn't have money to live away from home. But I just couldn't face the double whammy of going to law school where you were treated like a 12-year-old again, given a seat number and fed information, and going back to living at home after having had a... I think I have to say, a pretty wild time at university. A wild time. Uh, uh, my parents wouldn't have recognised me. In fact, well, they just come up to see me once at university, and, and I was going out that night, and I put on eyeliner and, and, and various things, and I think they realised at that point that... Really? Their, yeah, that their son had changed somewhat. Wow. So I found the pressures of living at home just too much, and I even though I didn't have the money, I, I rented a place with some friends in Ballam. And I had a little moped, um, but I was—I announced I was leaving, and my mum went in panic mode. I haven't taught you to cook, is what she thought. Right. And then she went into a, what can my totally uneducated culinary, uneducated son make? And she decided that everybody can make some sort of a Chinese stir fry. You know, you just chop everything up small and cook it with a bit. Of, and she bought me a wok. Mm.
0: But and you still have to this day. N- n-
1: not sure which one it is. Oh. Um, and a big <laughs> bottle of soy sauce, and sent me off into the world mm-hmm. with instructions. Just you know, if you can't think of anything else, just chop things up small and fry them, and whack in some soy sauce, and and you're good to go. And mm. So that's how I was um, equipped for the world.
0: Actually, my parents, I think the only thing I recall my parents saying to me to equip me for living in a different part of the country from them my dad told me to always walk with my keys in my hand and one of them in between my fingers
1: oh yeah i've heard that so you could yeah
0: should i ever be attacked i could just punch them with the key
1: there is a whole issue about you know how people at night if you see a single female walking Mm. and you're guy on your own and behind, you know, how you can indicate to her that you're not a threat, you know, so she can relax, because it must be scary, you know, just hearing the click-clop, clip-clop of somebody behind you on on a dark, wet night. And, you know, one of the things you can do is whistle a bit of Mozart or or Beethoven or or something, um, you know, to show that you're yeah. An
0: educated serial killer.
1: An educated serial. killer. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Clockwork <laughs> Orange. They're all quite into classical music and beating people up. So, I'm not sure that, um, that that sort of necessarily fits. But there is a whole sort of way you can, you know, just calm things down by showing that you know you're not a threat. Okay. I'm not uh,
0: sure how I'd feel about that.
1: Yeah, but um, yes, I didn't. I mean, my father never taught me the facts of life. You know, so I left home. And, Apparently, not knowing anything about all that stuff.
0: You're referring to sex education?
1: Yes, sex education. Did you
0: not have sex education in school?
1: Yeah, but that's just biology, you know. I'm talking about. Did you not
0: have all the other. In year six, we were taught about what happens to ladies, what happens to boys. You're talking
1: about relationships and emotions and things?
0: Uh, A little bit of that, Mm -hmm. but all the other stuff as well. Contraception, consent.
1: No, no, not none of that. Yeah. So I, I was sent into the world, not able to cook. Financially, not able to pay my rent. Oh, no. With no idea about um, the birds and bees. Right. Um, I mean, I, and I had to make money for myself. Funny enough, I did that by taking... Uh, this was actually rather clever of me. I presented myself as a Chico professional... Though. <laughs> professional portrait photographer to aspiring young actresses and models. Oh,
0: really? And I
1: would do... Do they still call it that? They're composite, which was like a card that they had with lots of pictures of them yeah. in different styles and states of undress. And um, uh, I mean,
0: models still have their book <clears throat> and I think it's a Z card that they'll produce, but everything's online and you've already seen their photos yeah, before I mean, they've I mean, come this into the is, room. In the, but you still the, need to have uh, your
1: portfolio well, I had all this studio this very old studio flash equipment by a company called Courtney based in Dorking and it had a massive box that used to blink and make a lot of noise and fire these flash heads when, you know, I had all the umbrellas and everything I, I looked pretty professional and well, I got lots of commissions actually I remember I did one I got asked by a massive um, Caribbean family living near us in, in Ballam who'd heard about me and they had a huge get together And they commissioned me to do, you know, pictures of their, if they get together. So I, yeah, you know, I made quite a good living. And I um, even did um, some quite well-known people who probably, or people who became quite well-known, who probably I shouldn't mention uh, now. Why not? I mean, if you have other things I've said, don't push me further on that, Sarah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll save it for another episode. (laughs) So, how did you send your children off into the world if you were <clears throat> ill-prepared?
1: Yes, well, I taught them to cook. Okay. Actually, I didn't teach them to cook. They <clears throat> they all... Um,
0: learned at school?
1: They, well, they learned to bake at school. They'd come back with a cake or two. Okay. Um, I guess that these days we infantilise our children generally more than in in the previous generation, meaning we don't really prepare them. We try and shield them from stuff.
0: I guess that depends on culture.
1: Yeah. Who are you referring to?
0: Well, I'm just saying different, my mum's West African, and that's the end of that story. (laughs) She's always saying Mm. that it's all about culture. Like Mm. if some, cultures are not very uh inclusive with what they do with their family or prepare them very well for life and others do because sometimes it's the older children taking care of the younger ones having to get them ready mm. for school bathe them cook for them mm. and then there are some who will just happily leave their children to sit in their own feces and run around outside all day and people don't really want to play with them because they're the smelly kid from down the road so they've not been very well prepared for life and then there are some you know, there's just a lot of different ways people are brought up and I guess, yeah, when you go from country to country you see little glimpses of how everyone differs
1: Sarah, you see I grew up in a, in a very particular type of family situation. Um, my mum came to the UK, to England, in 1938 from Frankfurt. She escaped the Nazis by the skin of her teeth. And um, my father also had come from another country, Bulgaria. And so there was no family, um, no wider family. We were just a little nuclear family that had started as refugees almost. Mm. And, um, so there was a, um, rather sort of intense atmosphere at home and maybe an overprotective atmosphere given the experiences of my parents and then they did something else which was really weird. So, uh, all of us went to this secondary school in Hammersmith or the boys, um, which was so far away. It took an hour and a half on the train um, and I used to go there from the age of nine, um, and actually, I bought myself a moped when I was 16 and cut the journey down to 20 minutes, much to their horror that I was on two wheels. But I bought it with my own money that I had bought, that I'd earned as a Saturday boy in the Portobello Road, Marks and Spencers. And that taught me more about life than than most things. There were all sorts of strange people in, in Portobello Road in the 70s. Um, so, yes, the, um, the atmosphere was, was rather intense and the level of protection was rather strong, and then we had no friends from school because of the distance, you know, maybe one or two somewhere nearby, and so that put a further level of pressure on siblings getting on with siblings, but siblings don't always get on with siblings, so I grew up in an incredibly sheltered way, and it was only when I went to university that I found other sides to me that were developed, and I changed fundamentally, radically, at university. Wow. Um, And I guess one of the ways you can see, because I think we we were saying that there are these three stages. There's your experience as a child, your experiences of leaving home, and how prepared you were for that, and how you make a different life for yourself. Mm. And then to some extent, when when you're lucky enough to get to the third stage, is what lessons in life you want to apply back to your children. And of course, the problem is you usually overreact. So because I went to the most distant school, I sent our kids to the school round the corner, of course. Mm-hmm. Although it happened to be a good one, um, hoping fervently that they would, you know, have more time and make friends locally, and, and that did work. Although not many lifelong friends, I would say, but yeah, certainly very good friends. And so that was one way in which things changed. Um, and I was much more laissez-faire, I guess, because my the the effect of
0: what's laissez-faire <clears throat>
1: allowing people to do what they want. Okay in that my father was absolutely mad about um, academic achievement. I think his proudest day was when I, as his agent, got a degree from Cambridge, you know, one of his proudest days. Having grandchildren was probably the other ones, but... Um, so, in a way, I fulfilled his ambitions, and that's another great danger with, um, with your children, is, is projecting them into the world to fulfil your unrealised ambitions. So there's lots of traps for the unwary. This is supposed to be... um,
0: Wisdom! A
1: homespun wisdom. I hope people are actually getting something from this. I think we need more examples and practical stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I I was thinking today, I was like, Mm. are any of our shows actually spelling wisdom? And um, then, so... Probably not, but you can let us know. (laughs) Uh,
1: Wisdom is not something you can give people. I mean, wisdom is, is, you know, there's knowledge um, and experience. Mm. I mean, basically, there are four ways that people believe things to be true. okay? Okay. One is the rational, empirical stuff where you can prove it. You know, two plus two equals four. Another way is gut or instinct where people, you know, sort of don't really know how to explain it. But, you know, they just feel that this thing is right or wrong. The third way is experience. Unless you've been there and done it, you can't know. And funny enough, that's becoming much more of a topic these days with lived experience being seen as a, a form of truth. Mm-hmm. And the fourth way is revelation, which is God, basically, God told me so. Right. And those are the four ways that people believe things to be true. And most people, if you question them a bit, and you might have a view on me now, you know, have one of those as their lead, that's how they believe things, and, the other, and they've got a little bit of a backup. So maybe I'm the super rational guy with a bit of gut instinct, you know, or maybe I'm maybe I'm the intuitive person with the experience, or maybe I'm all about God and I. And that's what that's what's true for me. But actually, it makes life really simple when you see the whole world through those four lenses. That's that's what how people operate. Mm-hmm. And so I guess wisdom is somehow integrating all of this thing. So that you um, can learn. One um, well, there's those famous quotes on there about knowing the difference between the things that you can change and can't change, and wisdom being the difference. Mm. Um, so you you learn from experience and all these other things um, how you can be in the world, um, and that might make you happy.
0: Maybe
1: it might make you. Accept your fate rather than be happy. But we, we're talking—we're um, talking big subjects here, and that was just a little aside to put us back on on subject. So wisdom, when we're talking about bringing up children, children leaving home, how you treat your children, in, in you know. So th- this might be an example. You know, if if you take the experience of any one person, how do they apply all of that learning? in terms of what they're doing for their children, different from what happened to them.
0: Is that a question to me? It's
1: sort of a question to you. I'm so sorry I zoned out. I
0: I thought you were going to continue a while longer. I thought, oh, I can just, like, relax and not do anything. I was saying, well, I'm not doing anything. I am actually making sure that this is still recorded. So, sorry, just tell me that once again. I mean,
1: you've, you've left home... You've done the two things. You've been subject to parental, you know, influence and yes. sibling influence. You then left home. You've left home for how many years now?
0: Uh, ooh, uh, oh, quick maths. Uh, yes, more than 10 years, 10 years. 15 years, so
1: <laughs> Would you say that you've achieved any wisdom now about the world, such that if you had a little bouncing baby, hmm. you would have some rules or ideas about what you would do for them? possibly different from what happened to you?
0: No, I, I think my parents had been great. They didn't restrict us, per se. We were allowed to do what, what we wanted to do yep. to get to where we wanted to get to. We did encouraged, a,
1: encouraged as well?
0: Yes, that we yep. did have a very disciplined, strict upbringing. So, but that just helped shape shape us as people and uh, help us know what we wanted to do in life. And I guess the great thing that they did is just always be in there. Yeah. With a meal the, on the table and the, a um,
1: the unconditional freshly the-
0: made bed should we return. <laughs> <laughs> and a Tupperware load of food when we leave <laughs> so every time I depart my mum is trying to give me a, about a month's worth of food just in case I uh, can't what, cook
1: what I'm hearing there is an organised family home life yeah you know, did, did your mum do the laundry on a particular day You know, no, be, did she so break silly. it down <laughs>
0: no no, okay, um, <laughs> the laundry gets done when it gets done, and then okay. my dad would be the person to iron it all. Really? Yes. Well, that was a
1: good lesson in life. Then
0: he, his
1: well, how, task how, that
0: he did was mainly scrubbing the burnt pots my mum would <laughs> burn
1: <laughs> and the laundry. Do you, do you to think? Iron it. Um, do you think we've got it right in in the way that we just a lot of people just imagine that women when they go out to work. You know, come This is you
0: again thinking, yeah, what you, you, women do. exactly.
1: Okay. Yeah, but you know, the, the point is, there's not much evidence of what really happens behind closed doors, is there? No, I mean, it's the same in the bedroom. You know, ask questions about that, good luck there.
0: It's the women doing all the work in the bedroom,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, so how do we know who does the dishes and who does the laundry, you know, and all the other things? I mean, there's this hackneyed idea that women load the dishwasher because men can't deal with the volumetric stuff and that do you know what men men
0: can't do it they're just sheer damn right lazy because men are more than capable of doing exactly what women do Hmm. they just like to play dumb
1: but the roles that you see as a child do you think they influence how you might find yourself I mean, I remember listening to one of them. Yeah,
0: exactly. My mum and dad did equal share. If someone needed help doing something, the other would help.
1: You're sort of trapped, aren't you? How many times do you hear people saying, you know, I find myself saying things that my mother would have said, particularly when they have children. You know, the things that you had said to you, you find yourself saying. One of Jane's friends told me that she used to be really irritated by her mum because she'd always set up the breakfast table before going to bed the night before.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And uh, then she found herself doing exactly yeah. the same thing. So, so maybe, it's time in the morning. Maybe it's... we're just running a programme. We
0: are. And that
1: DNA stuff you know, mm. means that however much you want to fight your nature, yes. rebel against your nature, that you're really being held in place by a very complicated set of, sort of you know, springs and... And restraints and straps and things. And you think you're moving, but you're just being tugged back always to to where you were.
0: It happens to us all. There have been many occasions. I mean, what is like, Oh, no, I'm turning into my mum. Oh, yep. no, that's isn't something that the, my dad would do.
1: Isn't that the fate of every woman?
0: Well, it's just always. To I turn just into also said, m- oh, to- I, that's something my dad would have done as well. So you just, what you see is what you become, isn't it? Mm. So, yes. Yeah. But my mum and I are very different. I most definitely take after my dad.
1: Mm -hmm. Is that because you saw him as the role model or you just find your nature, the nature nurture thing, you're just, you know, by nature you're that way inclined? You've got your dad's genes, in other words.
0: uh, I think that we just were more, you know... What do they call it when people get on with their star signs? I think our star signs are more compatible.
1: I see, yeah. I'm with you. Mm. That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm married to a Sagittarian, and apparently Pisces and Sagittarians have the the, the highest rate of, of bonding, of staying together, mm-hmm. or the lowest rate of divorce or separation or whatever, all the possible combinations. Okay. I've got that right. I hope she is Sagittarius. I'm, like, I'm in for a right bollocky. <laughs>
0: What um, but, is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yes, I mean, the, you know, that, this is um, one of the big questions, isn't it? What is, you know, what can you really change about yourself? Can you the, the nurture nature argument? You know, um, so you're <clears throat> so many things are decided for you in life by the time you're born. You have all those genetic inheritance. They get to you in that pre-rational phase when they want to make sure that you live in Minneapolis, even though it's a god-awful place. Sorry, there are other places available. No, actually, it's, it's very cultural, Minneapolis. It's got many orchestras and so forth. And the Mississippi flows through it, which a lot of people find strange because it's right up there near the Canadian border. Yeah. And most people think of the Mississippi down in the deep south. But no, yeah, that's. I did
0: the, follow the Mississippi it's, on it's, a road trip.
1: It's a big river. It is. Um... So, yes, there's that whole pre-rational phase when, you know, a strong-willed parent can make you into something or, or pervert you or distort you or But you're quite you. a
0: strong-willed parent, aren't you, Daniel? Because hasn't your son just returned home to live with you again?
1: I think that's entirely around the need for medical support following a, a minor hand operation and the fact that food is so much better. There's no laundry and there's a massive projector... Um, and his dog is cared for 24/7. like those are just minor you know benefits that I just threw in. Yes. Um, yeah, so how
0: does it feel to have a child back at home?
1: Uh, quite awkward actually.
0: Oh <laughs> why is that?
1: Um, well you know I like having sex all over the house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And how does he feel about that?
1: (laughs) I mean, that is one of the terrors. of If your children have ever seen you in flagrante, you know, and I know that Zachary did in France, (laughs) and it probably scarred him for life. But I think a lot of parents are finding, for all sorts of reasons, that their 20-something-year-old, even their 30-something-year-old children are are boomeranging, that's the technical term, Mm. for coming back because they've had a change of life maybe a divorce, a breakup, maybe they've lost their job, Uh, maybe they can't afford it, maybe they weren't prepared for the world, and there's just those nappy, those nappy, you know, those apron strings. But
0: this particular child of yours lived with you not so long ago. That's right. He's only been away for a few months, and now he's back.
1: Yes. um,
0: Back in, what do you call it? Domestic bliss. I guess so.
1: The loving embrace of his parents. Yes. The, the, I mean, you know, think about it from this point of view. What did you ring up telling Josh that he would get for dinner tonight if he came here?
0: Nothing. He's not my child. Okay, exactly.
1: <laughs> but I rang him up and I, I bought a piece of Agadee, uh, Aberdeen Angus Ribeye, a you know, nice thick piece. Um, you know, asked him if he wanted a steak tonight. So, you know, it's a competitive world out I there. I thought
0: you wanted your sex life back. <laughs> yet you're luring your son back <laughs> <laughs> I well, don't so soon, know what's going on soon, here soon, there's soon, some soon crazy Sodom le- and Gomorrah story going on <laughs> no I mean um, you,
1: you know he, Joshua Joshua needs um, a little bit of support sometimes
0: I don't
1: need to name him no <laughs> but I think everyone will you know. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, like every child, they, they need a bit of support sometimes, you know. I, I mean, you know, one of the greatest compliments, I think, is that two of our children have decided to emigrate quite far away. Mm. Which, I, I, I mean, could either be, you know, a compliment to me that they've, they have such independence of mind and freedom of thought and, um, and decision-making that they've chosen another country entirely to live in. So do you think or, you
0: set those two up better than the other two?
1: No, no I think they've all made their bed. Okay. So to speak. Um, but um, it's you know, it's quite nice that, that that they felt confident to do that. I mean, maybe they just wanted to get away from me. But of course maybe. with Zoom and WhatsApp and Facebook and FaceTime and God knows what, you know, they never get that far away these days.
0: No. I mean I I laugh, but every time I go home it's nice to have those hum- home comforts, but then it's also nice to get Mm. back to your own house and just do things without mother watching, or questioning, or asking when you're going to be back.
1: You know, our listeners are screaming at the mic, at their-
0: Radio. Their devices.
1: (laughs) And what they're screaming, you know what they're screaming, don't you? No. You have to let your children fail.
0: Oh, okay. That's what they're screaming. Well, not fail, you just have to set them free
1: yeah, but that includes the, you know, not intervening when you see them doing something that mm. you might consider to be a mistake. Right. <clears throat> I mean, how did we, get, if we go back to my overarching principles, the four things that people use to believe stuff, one of them is experience. Hmm. There's there's the rational stuff, you know, the, and the gut stuff and the divine stuff, but experience is pretty powerful. And if they haven't done it and felt what it, likes, what it feels like to, to get it wrong, to make a mistake, um, to have rejection, then they are infantilized. And there's a view that quite a lot of young people are still quite infantilized as they go out into the world. They cry about stuff. They're called snowflakes, which is a terrible word. But I don't think that's fair. But I think they, they haven't been ready for what you might call the rough and tumble of the real world.
0: Is that because they've been fed lies and idealistics of what society's led to expect from people going out into the world?
1: Yeah, they've been overprotected. They're not allowed to get mucky. They're not allowed to grub around in the earth and, you know, get muddy. Everything's too sanitized. And and then they're not allowed to mix with inappropriate friends. And, and, um, you know, they're spied upon by their parents in most ways to make sure they're not taking substances and... You know, the whole thing, it feels like um, uh, a sort of surveillance culture. And I think that if you subject your children to a surveillance culture, then they're going to learn to be sneaky and devious mm. and all those other things to get and around it.
0: need to be any of those.
1: No. I mean, for instance, how you handle money mm. with kids is quite interesting. You know, how much pocket money they get. how, how if, if you're the sort of house when no one would notice £10 going missing, there are dangers associated with that. Oh, yeah. Because that £10 can be used for all sorts of things. Could be. Could be. Um, I actually, at one stage, had pocket money contracts with the kids. Contracts? Uh, Yeah. Um, It was
0: funny. I'll let you finish.
1: No, no, go ahead.
0: My brother's children, they get pocket money and they accumulate more on chores and things that they succeed with now my nephew is all for earning money he loves it whereas my niece she couldn't care less she'd rather not have money and just enjoy her life without doing any chores she'd rather pay someone this seven year old would rather pay someone to do her chores than to do them herself (laughs) It's just like yeah so
1: where does that come from you see that's i mean of course in, in in families there's a people occupy positions siblings occupy positions if one of them is the brain box mm. the, the academic genius there's no point in you being somewhere on the way to being as good as that person because you'll yeah. always be the second best won't you yeah so you're going to have to do something else be sporty or be you know funny or oh, yeah. well, they do know, find a, find another way be artistic find another way to compete which doesn't marry up so that you can be your own person.
0: Well, I did say to my brother, I was like, William, your son's earning a lot of money through achievements and tasks and this, that, and the other, but your daughter doesn't seem to be getting equal pay. (laughs) Lifetime,
1: on a lifetime average basis.
0: And uh, he then explained that she does have the opportunity to earn money, but she missed out on money that like one particular time because she opted to go to the bakery instead of receiving her money. So she'd rather have got two sausage rolls and an ice finger than her three pounds. So (laughs) my brother explained she likes to spend money rather than, she likes to keep it. I gave her a whole load of coins and she counted it.
1: Yeah.
0: But then it was too much effort to take it to the bank. So I think.
1: It's interesting what you're saying. I I think we talked about this before, but I teach negotiation skills to, People in, in the first year, sixth, is that year 12? Um, the year before they do their A-levels. Yes. I forget yes, which year yes, that is y- now. Yeah. And um, when they've got a bit of time. And usually I'm explaining how you can go into a shop, which they all go to, and get something cheaper than you know normal. Mm. And usually, pretty much always actually, at some point in my class, and it's going to be a girl, and you'll accuse me of sexism again, but it is a girl, will get up and, and just harangue her colleagues, her fellow pupils, and say, why do you, you know, because they're getting quite agitated and interested in what I'm saying and really into it. She will just turn around and say, well, why can't you just be happy with what you've got? You know, why do you have to go about in this acquisitive, what they call economic maximizing way? You know, mm-hmm. does that really make you happier? And there was quite an interesting debate between the kids in the class about that. Exactly the same point you're making, that some people um, are more interested in money. I mean, my father used to tell this rather amusing story about this American tourist who goes down to Mexico with his fat belly and his big camera. And um, and he's probably in Tijuana because he can't be bothered to go much further. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know the Caesar salad was actually invented in Tijuana? Did you know that? There was a place called Caesar there. Anyway, that's... Um, <laughs> a different story. Um, and um, he, he sees this Mexican slumped in the shade of a, of a doorway and uh, sort of, you know gives him a little prod and says, you know, hey, you, why don't you get yourself a job? And the Mexican says, oh, you know, I'm happy uh, as I am. Why, why do I need all that aggro? And he says, well, if you had a job, you'd get some money. He says, oh, you know, I've got enough to live on. I don't need all that. Uh, well, um, the American's now having to... Think of ways that he can persuade this chap. It was worth it. He says, well, if you had um, money, if you were any money, you could save money. And Mexican says, well, why would I need to do that? He says, well, then occasionally you could go on holiday, like me. He says, well, I'm on holiday all the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I think maybe a lot of people are thinking about what they need money for in lockdown because they can't spend it. I mean, apparently savings have been mounting people are desperate to spend it on holidays and things Mm. and they can't
0: that's those who are fortunate to still have work yeah sorry whereas i'm a simple i lead a simple life i live to my means i don't need tons of money i mean i don't have tons of money right now but i have a good life i can't complain a roof over my head food on the table and a few good friends so I guess that's what my parents sent me away, like set up with. Yeah. To enjoy what you have around you.
1: So what are the most important things in your life?
0: Eating, sleeping, performing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And seeing family, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I I think relationships good I mean good food and I have to agree. Mm. You know. I mean I think when you're locked up I and mean, you, you sort of know that for prisoners and, and people that are locked up, meal times are important and I feel like that at the moment. If we have a bad meal time because something goes wrong, it kind of it's much more serious than if it was just another meal time and we were all but because you can't go out as much and, and you, you're cooking and eating much more in the confines of your little domestic environment, you know, food is suddenly a much bigger subject and mm. trying to trying to make it interesting and having enjoyable meal times is quite stressful. Um, So, where are we? Well, we're going to be
0: wrapping it up because you've got your son coming home for dinner. And I
1: didn't take that steak out of the fridge in time, did I? Oh, no. i better ring home and get it removed from the fridge. You'll need it at room temperature before it sees the cast iron grill.
0: Mm, Well, okay then, Daniel. Do you think we've shared some wisdom? We've expanded people's (laughs) knowledge got them thinking how can i actually before we finish sending children away they're all coming back because the universities are closed
1: yeah god
0: that's a terrible situation for some parents if they like to lead a life like yours checking out every room <laughs>
1: um <laughs> yes i mean well you know traditionally kids do come back from university during term um, you know, at the end of term so they're still coming and going it's the halfway house isn't it you know they they're getting used to being away mm. but i mean you know the evidence of some of the issues is how some kids when they leave home for the first time even to go to university which is quite a structured environment they've got somewhere to live they've got meals being prepared for them most of the time if they want that even that is too stressful for them because they've been given so little preparation for for life outside
0: mm. they've been
1: so hot housed
0: so this might be the best opportunity As the kids have returned from uni to set them up properly.
1: Yeah, I think they should absorb what we've been saying and try and help their children.
0: Enjoy the next few weeks.
1: Escape the gravitational pull of the domestic bliss that they've created Mm. so that they can leave home and have a successful life outside.
0: Get them to make you a meal, do your washing and laundry maybe. And you can give them some pocket money.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think is a great challenge is to give them £10 and tell them they've got to do a three-course meal with whatever they find in the house that's already there and and what they can buy for £10, and you're going to sit back and enjoy it.
0: Send your photos of what they create (laughs) to wear. (laughs) Hashtag. What would the hashtag be? Lockdown children restaurant. (laughs) I don't know. Anyhow, we're going to wrap it up here today, guys. Thank you for joining me, Sarah Sharman and the lovely Daniel Confino for homespun wisdom talks with my neighbour.
1: Bye for now.
0: Ciao, ciao.